But that was it. And I just look back and I'm just like, had we not said yes and had we not continued to be vulnerable and authentic and be an, an open book to our story, we would have missed out on so much. I know that for sure. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I am here with Katie and Lindy, and we are your podcast hosts. Happy Thanksgiving. Can you believe Thanksgiving's Happy tomorrow? Thanksgiving. I can't. It is tomorrow. And we've had some of the greatest stories just of how God has shown up mm-hmm. and people just being so thankful, which happens in every story, but particularly right now. On Patreon, we are doing a series on being thankful for you, our listeners, and our storytellers. And so last week, you heard me, Robin, talk <laughs> with Amy Grody about that. And then today on Patreon, for you who are Patreon insiders, you get to hear Hethel Ivy, who is part of our Katy, Texas community, as well as help me coach storytellers. She is going to be on there today just talking again how thankful we are for everybody around us, that all all the people God's put in front Absolutely. of us. Absolutely. And speaking of storytellers, we are so excited for you to hear Heather Junkins' story today. She is from our Homewood community. And let me tell you, her story is really about one of being faithful in obedience when God calls you to something. It is an adoption story, and wow, they persevered in the adoption yes. process. So be prepared to listen to this crazy journey that they went on just following what the Lord called them to do. As you know, it takes a lot to keep the lights on in this ministry and to keep us continuing to share stories of hope found in Jesus literally around the world so that women's faith can increase and that they can build community wherever they are and that they can find freedom in Jesus Christ. And so we just ask you, would you consider partnering with us? You can become a monthly ministry partner for as little as $15 a month. You have no idea what a difference that will make. So go to storytellerslive.org, scroll down right now in our show notes, and you can become a monthly ministry partner today. Happy Thanksgiving, and here's Heather. If you know me at all, you know that I would rather be curled up under that couch hiding from all of you right now. I do not like public speaking. So when Whitney texted me, I said, yes, I would love to share, but just know that I'm uncomfortably saying yes. So here I am. Many of y'all have walked alongside of us the last 13 years and have heard bits and pieces of the story, if not the entire story. So I do feel like for the last 13 years, we have been an open book about what God has done and the story that He has written on behalf of our family. But when you're trying to squeeze 13 years of intricate details into 30 minutes, it gets really, really difficult. So I've got my bullet points. I'm going to do my best not to go down rabbit trails so we're all not still sitting here at lunchtime. Peyton and I have four kids. Um, We live a few streets over here in West Homewood. We have four boys. They are in third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. So they are all little stair steps. And Peyton and I, we met in 2009, started dating a few months later. And then a few months following that, I was asked to serve at a women's conference that was being hosted here in Birmingham at the BJCC called Extraordinary Women. Many of you may have gone to that at that time, many years ago. But my role at that conference was to host one of the speakers. And one of the speakers that I was connected to and was asked to host was Karen Kingsbury. And I don't know if y'all know her, but she is a very talented, well-known author in the Christian fiction world. She writes a lot of Christian fiction novels and just spectacular human being, very personable. She had her daughter and her mother with her over the weekend. And she just, I was supposed to be taking her under my wing, but she took me under her wing and invited me to all the meals that they ate together as a family. And so we really connected. And so the last night that she was here for that conference, I invited Peyton. Um, Again, we had just started dating to come eat dinner with us. And at dinner, she began to tell us more about her story and their family dynamic. She has three biological children and three sons from Haiti. And so when Peyton and I left that dinner, we just, unbeknownst to us, we were just very captivated and drawn to the fact that they had walked this journey to get these three boys home from Haiti. And hearing, you know, they were older at the time and just 
hearing about her whole process just really stirred something in us. And I really believe um, that, amongst several other instances, is where God started planting seeds in our heart. So that was 2009. 2010 in January is when the earthquake um, struck Haiti, destroying much of the country. And we watched the news, news coverage on that and, of course, was drawn to it just like many of us are when things like that happen across the world. And, you know, and any time a natural disaster like that hits anywhere, you know, it's, it's very much a catastrophe. But somewhere like Haiti that is already unstable, very impoverished, it just truly, as y'all probably know and remember, truly wrecked their world over there. And Peyton, more than myself, hate to admit that, was just very, very drawn to that story and what was going on over there. Even post, you know, the news that started dwindling on the news, you know, the conversation started dwindling about, but he just was like, so again, just very captivated and very stirred, staying awake at night of like, I got to get to Haiti. I got to get to Haiti. What can I do? What can I do? So a few months later, he proposed, we got engaged. Um, at the time he was a student minister. So he was running a lot of the student groups at our little small town Baptist church. And he was like, I'm going to plan a trip to Haiti. And I was like, okay, you plan your trip. I'm going to start planning the wedding. So that's what we did. And so he started gathering members of the church. Um, Casey, his sister, was one of them that was on this trip, and his parents and a few other church members. But the goal of the trip was to set up a medical clinic for people who were sick and needed assistance in that way. And so some doctors and nurses went along on this trip as well. Fast forward to 2011, a few months later, um, we got married in April, and the trip was in June. So I, for some reason, I don't even know why, I don't know if I was scared or fearful or what the situation was, but I did not go on the trip. He led this team to Haiti and set up the medical clinic at a church in Jockmel, Haiti. So I don't know how much y'all know about the country, but you've Port-au-Prince is the hub, the capital, kind of the epicenter of the country. And then Jotmel is south of the country. And so you fly into Jotmel, and Casey can probably attest better than I can, but it's a very long, dangerous, you wind down all of these mountains to get to Jotmel, Haiti. So they did that, set up the clinic. The first patient on the very first day of the clinic was a precious little nine-month-old boy who had a fever and abrasion on his head. The lady that brought him to the clinic had really no relation to him. She was his caregiver, but not mom, not grandmother. And so she dropped him off, and he spent the extent of that first day with the team there, and they took care of him, loved on him. She did come back, picked him up. They went about their way, and second day, sure enough, he was back at the clinic, um, lady dropped him off. And so Peyton really started to, I think the whole team did, but Peyton was like, you know, what is this connection with this little boy? You know, what's his story? Why is this lady just dropping him off? Uh, the pastor, Pastor Frankie, who was a very, very vital part in our story, just God-given angel is what I call him. He was there to help lead the trip, serve as a translator, make sure they didn't get on the wrong tap tap or connect with the wrong people in the country. And so um, he was there. And so Peyton started asking Pastor Frankie, can you find out what the story of this child is? And so the story come, came back to Peyton and Pastor Frankie said um, that both biological parents had previously passed away. And the lady that was taking care of him was a friend of the mom's. And when the mom was on her deathbed, she just begged and pleaded that, you know, she would ensure that he was well taken care of. But the fortunate but yet unfortunate thing was she had just found out she was pregnant and was basically panicking because in Haiti, they live on an average of $3 a day. So she was like, I can't feed two mouths. You know, I've got this baby in my belly and then I've got this nine-month-old child. And so she basically told the team, um, that if someone does not step in and help me with this child, he's going to end up on the streets and I will not live up to the word that I promised his mom. So Payne calls me from Haiti and he's told me the story, of course, internets, you know, so I'm like, just, okay, you have a baby. Like what, I don't know what this means, but, um, just come home and we'll talk more about it. So this was mid July. 
And Peyton was just like, we have a responsibility. Like, we have to ensure that this child does not end up as a street kid, which unfortunate in Haiti, that's a very normal thing that kids just live and beg on the streets and that's how they survive. And Peyton said, if we don't do something, I'm going to spend the rest of my life wondering what happened to that nine month old little boy. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, what do we do? You know, and um, so we started praying. We committed to fast for a month. You know, we were super young and we were just like, well, just fast for a month. You fast from that or I'll fast from that cookie, fast from coffee and we'll just see what God does. Big sacrifices there, I know. <laughs> anyway, so that's what we did. And during during that time period, we started inquiring about adoption and what that would look like. And was that an option? Or are we just to put him in a children's home and just support him and make sure he's well taken care of for the rest of his life? And we found out that the adoption criteria or law in Haiti at that time was you had to be married for 10 years and you had to be 35 years old and we had been married a whopping three or four months and we were like 26 so we were like okay adoption doesn't even seem possible but we were like but you know god can do anything i mean we truly truly believe that so we prayed and fasted for that month i think towards a couple days before the fast was quote unquote supposed to end we were like god we still don't know what we're supposed to do about this baby and a couple days later, I think it was the day before the date we had committed to get a phone call from Peyton's parents who had just been in a meeting with some investors. And again, his parents had been on the trip. So they were sharing about Haiti and this little boy and all the things. And one of the investors um, popped in and he said, well, I have a direct connection with the president of Haiti. My best friend is good friends with him. And we'll just get them to sign a waiver and they can bypass those adoption laws and just pursue the adoption role. And we were like, okay. So she calls us to tell us this. So we felt like that was our green light that, okay, he's our son. Like we're to pursue this child via adoption. That's what we did. And we started just figuring out what this looks like. Again, we he had made one trip to Haiti. We have no connections to Haiti. We had no clue what that even looked like. And so really from that point on, I, I truly believe because we said yes, that God just, I mean, it was like putting one foot in front of the other. It was just like God just had everything lined. Looking back, that's easy to say at the time. We we're like, God, what do we do? But we get another phone call from another friend who um, had heard that we were going to go down the, the road of adoption. And she said, hey, I have really some really good friends that live in Coleman, Alabama, and they're also adopting some kids from Haiti. So why don't y'all connect and see what they're going through and how they're, you know, navigating this process. And we're like, sweet. So we did. And we found out where their kids were living. So their kids were in a children's home in Port-au-Prince. So we called the director of that children's home and they were like, yeah, we'll take them. And we were like, okay, so we got to move him. So again, he's in Jotmel, Haiti. So we had to move him from Jotmel to Port-au-Prince. So we're just figuring out all these logistics. And in the midst of all that, we found out we're pregnant. And then a few weeks later, I miscarried. And I would say, I know miscarriages are very, I guess I hate to even say this, very common. My mom miscarried her first. Peyton and Casey's mom miscarried her first, but I never realized the grief would hit me as hard as it did. And I just spent weeks and weeks and weeks of just crying every day. And I'm just like, is this ever going to stop? Am I ever going to get over this? Here I am grieving and crying over this baby. I just lost my belly while I'm supposed to be connecting and loving this baby in Haiti that I'd never met. And um, it was just really, really, really hard. And so Peyton was like, let's just, let's go on a walk and like figure out like, is this really, so, you know, we started kind of having our doubts. He was like, I don't know that you can handle this. Like, and I was like, no, 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 I can, I can. He was like, we don't have to do this. Like we don't, let's just move him in a children's home, take care, you know, just make sure he's taken care of. Like we don't have to put ourselves through this journey that we didn't even know it was going to look like. And I just looked at him and I said, no, I said, I, in that moment, I was like, I fear being disobedient to God way more than I fear not being able to get over this grief. 
And so he said, okay, well, there we are. Then that's what we're going to do. And I said, I might go to Haiti and cry every day that I'm there. I don't know. I might be holding this nine month old baby. It's so, but, but that was my biggest fear is that I would struggle connecting with him because I so wanted that baby back in my belly. But we continued to move forward. Um, we booked our plane tickets for that following October. So a few months later, we fly into Port-au-Prince. We hop on a four-seater airplane, which was an experience, and we shakingly fly down to Jop Mel. Like, are we going to make it there alive? I don't know. So we get to Jop Mel. The journey even to get to where Rowan was was a Another story for another day. Um, but we laid, we got laid eyes, got our, got Rowan in our arms. I held him for the first time. And it was just this, and, and I know it's not this case for everybody in the adoption process, but for me, having to have feared so badly that that was not going to be the case for me, it just immediately was. And I held him at this point. He had just had his first birthday. So he was about 13 months old, held him with his little two fingers sticking in his uh, mouth. And we spent the next four days just transitioning him to this, his new home. So the caregiver was, who was the one that was bringing him to the, the clinics those two days, she was very reluctant when we got there to the point where I thought she's not giving him over. Like we have traveled all this way and she is, she has changed her mind, which is a whole nother God thing in itself. But she did. She gave him over to us. We moved him into the children's home in Port-au-Prince, which was a very, very difficult day. So then I get on the airplane crying and crying and crying, thinking I'm never going to stop crying because I'm like, I just want him home so bad. And I remember telling Peyton on the airplane, I was like, I, now I don't care if I ever get a baby back in my belly. I just want him home. Um, and that is truly just that instant connection that we we had with him that point on found out we were pregnant again and that would be with Paxton who is our fifth grader and I feel like a crazy person but I was pregnant was a very healthy pregnancy but I was on an airplane every chance every time we could afford it we had no money he was a student pastor I helped tutor kids after school Um, and then at this point I was like I'm not working I'm gonna be in Haiti as much as I possibly can so Again, I was on an airplane as much as I could, flying back and forth um, to be with him. And the way this children's home was set up was you could go get him and then go stay at a guest house. And so we we had, and I'm so thankful that looking back, I'm like, that probably was not like the healthiest system. But just take kids from the children's home. They don't know where we were going or who really who we were. I'm like, okay. Um, So we would, and we would, you know, book trips, you know, week and a half, two weeks, and we'd go hang out in a guest house and just watch him toddle around, you know, there's nothing else to do in Haiti. And so we did that. I was there November, December, January, back in February. And during that time, the families in Coleman were there too. So we would all kind of book trips together and go and hang out with all of our kids together. So it was a really sweet time. But the facilitator that was facilitating their adoption had offered to facilitate ours, but we had not gotten the dispensation, the waiver yet to dismiss us from the law. So she wanted, she said, the only way I can do facilitate y'all's adoption is if I create some, I just make up that y'all have been together. You know, she wanted to like basically create fraudulent paperwork. And that seemed like the easy thing to do at the time. And we were just like, no, we're not doing that. I don't know who we're going to use, what route we're going to go. But if you're going to create fraudulent docu- documents, we're not we're not going to work with you. So she, she was fine with that. So anyways, but in the meantime, we had been connected with another, I guess, facilitator. Still don't really know who he was at the time, but we were put in touch with him. And he said he knew how to do adoptions. So we're like, okay, sweet. Just don't make us lie about it and we'll use you. And so... He said, okay, I can complete the adoption, but I think y'all could pursue a non-immigrant visa to get him home in the meantime, because adoption might take some time. So we were like, okay, yeah, what does that look like? And he was like, well, you just go before the U.S. Embassy and they'll just say yes or no. And so we were like, okay, yeah, we'll do that. And so that was in April of 2012. and. We, Peyton, set the trip up to take his youth kids down for the first week. So we had planned to stay for two weeks during this trip. 
we're going to be with our youth kids and Rowan was going to be with us, of course, for the first week. And the second week we were like, we're going to get the non-immigrant visa. They're going to tell us yes. We truly believe that. We had all the people in the world praying and believing and having that little tiny mustard seed of faith and God's just going to move these mountains and he's just going to come home um, is what we truly believed. And um, thankfully we were super duper naive, but um, we got over there during that first week when we were there with the youth, youth kids, we went to get our visa appointment. And again, this is like mid-April. Our visa appointment was May the 7th. So we're like, okay, so that puts us in Haiti for four weeks-ish. We're not, we were not planning for that. We didn't pack for four weeks. And my baby shower for Paxton was during that time. So I had to call home and I was like bawling, crying. I'm like, I'm going to miss my baby shower and all the things. We're stuck in Haiti. Peyton had to take a leave of absence from work. It was this whole, whole thing. So we, and only had two weeks worth of accommodations. So we were like true gypsies in Haiti. I mean, just literally who's going to take us tonight? We have a you know, at this point, a 20-month-old, and I'm 28 weeks pregnant with Paxton, and we just need a place to stay. It sounds so crazy because we couldn't afford to stay in a hotel for four weeks. So we just bounced around Haiti during those four weeks and waited for this appointment and still believing. And and the baby shower was actually for Paxton and for Rowan. Like that's how strongly we believe that he was he was coming home with us. Like, he was getting on that airplane. Um, so May 7th rolls around and we Peyton they only let one adult go into this appointment so he goes into the appointment I'm oddly riding around Haiti with this man I'm just like praying and like please just don't take me to somewhere strange like and it was someone Pastor Frankie knew I didn't just hop in a random truck and you know with this guy but it was still just crazy crazy situations that we put ourselves in on behalf of just fighting to get him here with us and Peyton went into the visa appointment. We obviously were denied. And that moment was probably, there were many hard moments in 13 years, but I would say that moment was probably the hardest for both of us. Um, He really started to doubt God because he was like, God, we went, we did this. Like we put ourselves out there. We truly trust and believe in. We had all of these people back at home praying for us and, you know, it didn't make sense. I had to take a leave of absence from work. We didn't have a place to stay. We're sleeping in mosquito nets. My wife, you know, Heather's at this point, I'm 32 weeks pregnant and um, no AC, taking baths and showers out of buckets. I mean, just bizarre things. And we're just like, come on, God, you know, like, like why? You know, and so it was really hard. So we had unfortunately had to book our plane tickets to leave the next day and after spending four weeks with him as you can imagine as a mom and a dad we were even more connected to him at that fun almost two-year-old age of just so many fun memories and um we had to leave them so we did and we get home this was mid um mid-may and paxton was due in july and i still hung on to this hope i'm like he's gonna be home before paxton's born like and i get telling my doctor i'm like just push me out as long as you like as i can because he's gonna be at the hospital when his baby brother's born like i'm just certain you know and so i just kept clinging to this hope um to where Peyton was more just, he was just angry. Like he was just confused. He was angry. He's like, God, your scripture says you put the lonelies in families and we are exhausting all of our resources and physically exhausting ourselves to get this boy home. And like, it's not, you're not making a, we didn't feel at the time. He felt at the time he's not making a way. So anyways, Paxton was born in July. Rowan obviously was not there. So here we have Paxton that was in July, October. And in the meantime, we are getting, um, I'll just show you all this. This is 13 years of just wonderful paperwork that we um, went through. Lots of notaries and certifications and sending this off to Paris to be translated and then back. I mean, all the things. So we spent that year working on, this is called a dossier. Um, and this is what you enter into the court systems. Um, for adoption processes. So we had this completed um, in October, but the problem is you really can't mail things to Haiti. I mean, Meredith, you went through that whole process. Um, 
you just can't trust that it'll get there. And so, you know, this is really our life. I mean, it has every penny we've ever made, ever spent, um, driver's license, birth certificates, married. I mean, everything you can, like our life is in a document right here. And so we're like, well, we can't mail that. So again, another connection. There was a guy who was pursuing some sort of business venture um, in Haiti, and he was um, going to be over there around the time that we needed to submit our, docu- our documents. So we connected him with Pastor Frankie. So he flew with our paperwork over to Haiti, met with Pastor Frankie, and Pastor Frankie was able to submit it to the courts on our behalf the day before Haiti changed their laws. And I had forgotten that detail until I went back and read my blog. I'm like, had we had not submitted it that very next day, we would have had to start all of this over from scratch. So um, just another little, little God moment of like, and it was like one of those moments. I'm like, okay, God, you have this. Like, we cannot make this stuff happen on our own. So that was in October. Um, a few months later, we receive a phone call from the families in Coleman that had children in Haiti. And... They said, hey, we just wanted to let y'all know that there are officials showing up at the children's home and moving them to unknown facilities. And all of our children, I think between the three families, I think there were six kids that they were adopting in this home. And all of our children have been re or misplaced and they're not telling us where they're at. And Peyton was like, all right. Where's my one? He booked his one-way ticket. He was like, I'm going down. And I was like, he was like, I don't know when I'm going to return. I don't know where he's going to go, where I'm going to move him to, but we're getting him out of there. And we, it was not obviously our first pick of a children's home, just to be honest. I mean, he was always sick when we went. Um, you'd walk in the home. I mean, no toys visibly. There were older kids that lived there, so they would stick all the toys in their bunks. And just, and I'd leave there just, I mean, just devastated because I'm just like there was no peace I don't know anyway so we weren't really surprised but come to find out the lady that they were using to facilitate their adoption was not creche certified so creche is a children's home that is certified to house children especially children who are in the process of being adopted so all their children were taken because they had been using this individual to facilitate their adoption, if that makes sense. So Rowan was still there. Rowan had not been taken because, again, praise God that we said no to her, um, you know, the way she wanted to operate our process. Um, so Rowan was still there. Um, Peyton went and picked him up, went and stayed at a, a guest house. And he was like, I don't know what to do with them. We can't, I'm not taking them back there. We had no other resources work. Well, maybe Pastor Frankie, can, you know, Pastor Frankie's sweet little Pastor Frankie's, you know, this tall. He's, I mean, I don't know how old he is now, but then he was probably in his mid sixties, you know, had grown kids. And I'm like, maybe um, Pastor Frankie can just take care of them. You know, I mean, we just had no idea where he was going to go or what he wanted to do. But Peyton was committed to stay in Haiti until we figured it out. So rewind that week that the youth kids were there, they served at a children's home called Maranatha. And Maranatha is just top notch for a third world country. Very small. I think the max kids they had at that time were nine. So it wasn't this large orphanage institute um, situation. There was this precious lady, Sue, who many of you, if you've been following along, you know about Sue. She was in her mid-50s, um, just precious older lady that was committed to take care of these children. And so their the whole goal of this children's home, it was called it, they called it a transitional home. So it was tra- to transition children who were in the process of being adopted to America. So to help that transition be a little bit easier. So Peyton was like, well, I'm just going to call Maranatha and see if they'll just take, if they'll take Rowan. So Peyton calls Byron, who's the director. And Byron was like, sorry, dude, like we're at max. Like we can't, we're not taking any more kids because if we keep saying yes, we will end up like these 30, 60, 90 kid orphanage where kids are just barely surviving, barely thriving. And we just, we don't have space for Rowan. I'm sorry. Peyton was like, okay. So day one, he called back the next day. He's like, Byron, like, we really have nowhere to put him. Like, I don't know what to do. And he was just like, sorry, like, this is bigger than me, you know, and it was a well-established ministry with the board. And, you know, he couldn't just, he couldn't just say yes, bring him in. Day three, Peyton gets a phone call from Byron. And he's like, dude, he's like, I don't know what God's doing. This has never happened in my 30 years of ministry. 
But a mom showed up at our gate this morning who had dropped her daughter off like two years prior to this day. And she has gotten a job. She's back on her feet and she wants her little girl back. And we feel like our role is our goal in this is to reunite her with um, her daughter. So that means there's a space for Rowan. So anyway, so Peyton was like, you're right, dude. I mean, we couldn't write this story if we tried to. I mean, it was just one of those things like the timing of that, just so bizarre. But God. So we moved Rowan into Maranatha where he was under the care of Madam Sue. And that is where he lived until he came home in November. So, so in the mix of all that, Cruz came along and then Mills came along. And at that time, our um, naive way of thinking started to wear off to where I was thinking, oh, he's going to be home at two. Okay, he didn't come at two. He'll be home next spring, surely. You know, and then I'm stocking his closets and getting the monogram pillows on his bed. I'm like, was prepared. You know, I'm like, he's coming home. He's coming home. And Peyton was like, I don't know, Heather. I think he might need to be prepared to bring home an eight-year-old. I'm like, there's no way he will be eight years old when he comes home. And time just kept ticking along. And now, of course, we have a newborn one and a two-year-old and then a one, two, and three-year-old. And so getting to Haiti obviously became a lot more difficult. And at Maranatha, he was in a very stable, structured environment. So there was no more showing up in Haiti, picking him up and going to spend time with him. So if we wanted to spend time with Rowan, it had to be on their turf, it had to arrange with their schedule. They weren't adjusting anything for us. They were not taking, you know, which I'm, as a mom, knowing what I know now, I'm like, thank God, you know, um, that they operated that way. And when Peyton dropped him off there, he had a very traumatic departure. So he dropped Rowan off. Of course, you know, we had just been there for the four four weeks Come back. He comes back later, spends more time with him in the children's home while we're waiting to get him into Maranatha. And when he left, Rowan was chasing him out the door and Peyton prying him off his leg and just both of them, just an emotional, emotional mess. And so Peyton got on the plane and he said, I feel such at peace where he's at now. And I cannot, as his dad, be I can't leave him anymore so like next time I lay eyes on him he's coming home with me um so at that time we cut off we felt like it was best as his parents to let him live in that stable structured loving environment and not have these people that he calls mom and dad popping in and out of his life and um so we just quit visiting we didn't go over anymore of course Sue and I would text on the regular How's he doing? You know what? But as far as Rowan at that age, he was probably almost two, two and a half. He just, he lived a normal life. We wanted him to have a normal childhood. But in all of that, there were six other children who were in the process of being adopted. So he would watch children go home with, and as hard as that was, I'd get texts from Sue and she'd be like, Rowan just had a complete meltdown because a tall man with dark hair just walked in to get another child. And Rowan thought it was Peyton and... So I'm dealing with all of those emotions. And of course, I'm just a mess. And I'm just like, you know, but as hard as that was, and obviously he'll never be able to articulate that. I believe that at a young age, I mean, as we know, for most kids out of sight, out of mind, like he should have very well forgotten about us. But I believe that was, as hard as that was, that kept him clinging to the hope. But Sue never, we were like, don't mention us, don't talk about us. Like We just want him to just live a, re- a really stable um, and emotionally stable um, childhood. So, so fast forward, he turns five and Sue sends me an email and she's like, Heather, I haven't seen you in a few years and I don't even know if you have red hair. I wasn't going to share this sand, but after the beach trip, I'm going to share this because this is a pretty big moment. Um, so she emails me this at five years old. Rowan draws this picture. And this is when we knew we were like, okay, he, I mean, and I, I truly believe the Holy Spirit obviously has been at work from day one. And this is, I think, evidence of that. But he drew an angel with red hair. He's never, other than me, I don't, I don't even, and my boy still will say, you don't have red hair, you have brown hair. You know, they think red is this right here. You know, that's not the color of your hair. 
So again, coincidentally, I'm sure, obviously, as a five-year-old, he just picked up the red crayon. But the fact that he associated mom and then the plane, they always associated going home as getting on an airplane and coming home to America. Um, he drew that at five. So, um, so really, the next few years, really until 2020, it was just a lot of this, a lot of communicating back and forth with Sue, how's he doing, telling me about behavior issues, and this is how I handled it, and da-da-da-da-da, and, you know, and we, you know, would text Sue and say, it's Paxton's birthday, would you mind having Rowan sing happy birthday? Because it was really, just as, as it, it was important, we wanted him to feel disconnected to us, but for our boys, we, the other three boys, we tried really hard to keep them connected to him. So we kind of, we balanced that. We, you know, we didn't know if we were doing it right. I don't know. But Sue would. Sue would get him to sing happy birthday. She would get him to send, you know, do Mother's Day videos. And so we very much indirectly stayed connected to him through Sue. And, and really just during that time, you know, I feel during those years of waiting and not the trips weren't happening and then life was happening with the other three boys here and all the grief of experiencing what the other three are experiencing and knowing we were missing out on that with him and, you know, from first day of school and missing teeth and little, you know, extracurricular activities and what's he into, you know, all those things um, was hard for me. But the way I grieved in that was... I just kept buying clothes for him. I kept filling his closet. I sounds so silly, but he had a stocking on our mantle every Christmas and I would fill it with stuff. And um, he had an Easter basket and with his name on it that was set out every Easter. And, and I feel like that really helped the other three boys, like kept him alive in our home, if that makes sense. Um, Really, just during that time, I really believe as well, because we were so open about sharing our story, I believe that the community that that door opened is what kept us clinging to. Because, I mean, we get told all the time, like, I don't know how y'all did it for 13 years, 12, 13 years. And I'm like, well, we were engaged. I know we were doing the hard parts of it. I was like, but our community, I mean, y'all right here, like, Never stopped asking questions, never stopped praying. That's probably where I get emotional. And just the financial burden that that was, because we, I mean, for 12 years, it wasn't a traditional, hey, you're going to use an agency and this is going to cost this much at this, you know, this point, then you're going to owe this and then you're going to owe this and then you're going to owe this. It was just like, we'd get a phone call, hey, Haiti needs $5,000 tomorrow. And we'd be like, okay, okay. For what you know, and I mean, another micro story with that that really did happen. Um, if we didn't send five thousand dollars the very next day, they were going to kick our paperwork out of the system. And that night, we went over to some friend's house, and they had no idea about this. We had just gotten the phone call, and before we left their house, our friend Jason pulled Peyton into his bedroom and was like, Hey, dude, I don't know why, but right before y'all came over, I felt like the Lord wanted me to give y'all this. And we got in the car, we have him the check, and $5,000. I mean, just anyway, so there was just constantly things like that, that, that happened. And it was just our community and the people that were walking alongside of us, just y'all, they didn't, y'all didn't give up either. I mean, and that's what made it easy. I can speak on my behalf as a mom of y'all made, have always made Rowan just as much a part of our family as the other three boys that you were physically able to lay eyes on every day. A lot of waiting in those years, 2020 rolls around, which I know we all love. Um, and we get the great news that you cannot bring a child into the country of Haiti unless you are using an agency. So all these years, I think I've probably left this part out. We couldn't use an agency to begin with because of the Haitian criteria. So a U.S. agency would not even touch our process because they didn't have the legal rights to override the Haiti law of being married for 10 years and being 35 years old. So now we're being told you have to use an agency. And all of these years, um, so eight or nine years worth of work um, that was just passed off to random individuals that would say, hey, I think I have connection here. I can get this part done for y'all and I can get this part done for y'all. So it was just very PC up to this point. But we had made progress. Um, we did get our dispensation 
So I called, I think, six agencies. Only two called me back because they, after listening to my five-minute long voicemail of like begging and pleading, and this is where we're at, and we've done everything backwards. So I'm sure this is going to be a real fun case for y'all to work on. Um, only two called back, and I talked to both of them. One was very hesitant, not very hopeful, and was like, well, you know, you're going to get to a point where we have to match you with the child. So you may not get matched with Rowan. And I was like, well, we're not just signing up to adopt any child. Like, he's our son. He's coming to America. Like, we're after him. And if you don't have the hope and believe that when we get to that point that we're going to be matched with him, then we're out. You know, like, we're not using you. So talk to this other agency, Children of All Nations. They're out of Austin, um, Texas. And she was like, you do run that risk. Cause I told her about my conversation with the previous agency. And she was like, but Heather, I really think that like we can, we can make this work. And I was like, okay. So again, we signed with, um, children of all nations in 2020 and, um, thankfully didn't have to start from scratch as far as paperwork, but started from scratch financially because then we got the whole traditional, thing that a lot of people get at the start of their adoption processes. And so we just, you know, went through that process. And I really believe they they are who pushed it over the finish line. So fast forward to 2020, I think, no, it was 2021. The president of Haiti was assassinated. Um, A few months later, another earthquake hit the country, putting the country back in shambles. I would say... There were some delays, yes, to that. There were a lot of gang violence, and I don't know how much you've watched on Haiti, but it has become extremely dangerous. There, I don't even think they're letting Americans into the country right now. But I feel like God used that catastrophe for our good. I feel like it was reversed for once. I'm like, okay, something is actually working in our favor because for 13 or 12 years, I feel like we've had to knock down and beat down all these doors. And they passed a, um, they were offering passport waivers. So basically, we were able to exempt the whole passport um, phase of the adoption. And um, we got that news last, so this is all 2022 at this point, I don't know, September, October. And it was like, once you get your passport waiver, you get your visa and book your tickets and come home. We were like, okay, all these years of waiting, and it's just like, come get them. And we're like, okay. Um, so November of 2022, um, Peyton hopped on a plane. Again, it was not safe, even to the point where the government was trying to encourage us to have him escorted to Miami, um, which is what a lot of kids who were coming home were doing because it, again, it was not safe, but Peyton was like, no, I'm going back to that country. I'm walking back through the same gate that I last left him at. And I am, I'm going to be the one to remove him from that country. And I'm going to walk hand in hand with him out of that gate. And we are going to get on a plane together and we're coming to America together. So, um, November of 2022, that is what happened. And he is home. He's been home for 10 months. And, um, I kind of, or not kind of, I do know that a whole nother version of our story is just beginning. He started middle school this year. And he's doing great. I'm drowning, but um, <laughs> he seems to be fine. And I think he's living in that naive state that we lived in for 13 years. Like, welcome to our world, but ignorance is bliss, right? Um, so, yeah, so that is that is where we are at. Um, many of y'all have seen him be bopping around town. And I really, I really can't, I, won't, I don't know that I'll ever stop harping on the fact of just the community. I just think like, yes, scripture for sure. Um, and lots of worship songs, blaring worship songs and singing them louder than my lungs could sing. Trying like, God, please hear us and bring him home. But it is the community. And it just, I feel like for us, it gave us a deeper empathy of people who are walking through hard things. And now we're like, Hey, Like, can we join in? Like, we want to walk that with you because we had so many people do that for us. And it just carried us and just encouraged us. I mean, just all the things. And we are just still blown away. Um, A lot of people say, did you ever think it was not going to happen? 
I never really did, of course. I'm the one hanging the stockings on the mantle and stocking the closets. And, um, but Peyton did, and that's his story to tell. But, um, but yeah, God was faithful and it looked absolutely nothing like we thought it would. Like I said, I chuckled when Peyton told me to be prepared to bring an eight-year-old home. Never dreamed I'd be bringing a 12-year-old home and raising a teenager now. But that was it. And I just look back and I'm just like, had we not said yes and had we not continued to be vulnerable and authentic and be an, an open book to our story, we, w- we would have missed out on so much. I know that for sure. And I think, again, I'll say it again, but the gift of community that has just loved and welcomed. And even when he's been home, and I've got to share this too, um, but he, we were at the International Adoption Clinic. This was post, obviously, him being here, and which he hated. And the doctor was trying to get him to calm down, trying to remove that long Haitian pouty face. And so she's just asking all these questions. And she said, Rowan, have you met any new friends? And he goes, yes, one. She said, oh, well, what's his name? And he said, his name is Henry. And Henry Busby. And she said, oh, I'm so glad that you found some friends, Rowan. And he looks up at her and said, no. I didn't find him. He found me. And I was just like, but that was just, I'm like, buddy, I feel you. I feel like our community has found us and his, I don't know. So it was just really neat of like, that's how he views it. And that's how he sees it of like Henry and so many others, Caroline. I mean, I could just, the list goes on of just sweet friends who have just taken him under his wing. And I mean, I know the kids know bits and pieces of his story, but they don't know the extent of it. And I just think it just speaks volume of of the community that y'all wrapped around us, but even your children wrapping around them. I mean, wrapping around him and even our other three, because it's been an adjustment for them as well, um, has just been probably the most beautiful thing that, I mean, yeah, makes every year tier worth it. So... You know, we talked at the beginning, this is Thanksgiving week, and Heather brought her son home one year ago this month. Mm -hmm. And so I can imagine that their Thanksgiving is pretty amazing in a house full (laughs) of four Four boys boys. in a row. Mm -hmm. I mean, not just four boys, but four boys in a row. Mm -hmm. Being someone who has adopted, we've walked this process Her story actually brought back a lot of memories. Mm. I had not thought in a very long time about some of those details and the the yearning and the longing Mm. to bring your child home. I cannot fathom the longing Mm -hmm. over this period of time and staying the course. Yeah, I think that's what stuck out to me the most in this story was just this concept of them continuing to say, okay, God's called us to this. So we're going to, we're going to, again, as I said at the beginning, persevere through it. And, you know, as I listened, I thought it would have been so easy for them to, you know, when they kept hitting those brick walls to say, well, maybe God's just calling us to sponsor him. Mm-hmm. And, but they kept going back. They kept God. And, you know, I really just have such admiration for Peyton as mm-hmm. well as he, you know, kind of, he stayed the course. And then isn't it funny how God, because she said at one point she felt like God was calling and, and then Peyton kind of was like, I don't know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doubting and all these things. And then she got strong in her faith during that time. But just this, guys, again, this whole idea of the persevering through faithful obedience was just huge to me. And that doesn't even have to be about adoption. Right, God calls right. us to so many things. And it, just because He calls us mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's going to be easy. I found myself thinking that very thing of what have we prayed for for so long that at some point you give up because you haven't received an answer. And so I kind of challenged myself in that of, gosh, what have I been believing for for 13 plus years that when there's not a picture of a child right in front of you, you might not push so hard. Right. Mm-hmm. And at the very end of her story, she even said, it looked nothing like we thought. <laughs> and how many times have we talked about that? You know, our plans are not the Lord's mm-hmm. plans. His plans are better. But her perseverance, I mean, my goodness, I can't even walk five days in a row. I can't even <laughs> eat healthy five days in a row, much less the 12 years that it took oh. her to get him home. My mama heart loved the fact that she hung that stocking every I Christmas. Know. I was like, oh, that was just, 
you know, because she believed she knew God would answer her prayer. It reminded me of Sarah in the Bible and how she prayed for a child and prayed and prayed and prayed. And and that's who Heather reminded me of, that she just knew that God would answer her prayer in His time. Yeah, and Heather even held out longer than Sarah, because Sarah Sarah finally (laughs) said, you know what, I'm taking matters into my own hands. (laughs) But she did. Yeah, you're right. And and it is, like I said, it is a story of perseverance. And I just thank Heather for for being willing to share it with us. And the you know the fact that the community really rallied around her. It also reminds me of Moses and Aaron mm-hmm. <laughs> when Moses got tired of holding up his arm mm-hmm. during battle, mm-hmm. and God said, "When your arm is up, you will win." She talks so many times about how their community around them really was lifting mm-hmm. up their arm. It was that was when she really got emotional mm-hmm. talking about what the community did. And you know, we're the hands and feet of Christ, and say so we're never more close to Christ when we feel that community surrounding us. It just encourages me one for us to be willing to share are hard for us to be sharing, willing to share what we're walking through mm-hmm. so that people can walk beside us. And two, you know, it's, I think how I just talked a minute ago about challenging ourselves of what have we been praying and believing for, you know, if y'all want to take time right now to sit and and pray on that, take a minute and say, what have, what have I been believing for? What have I been praying for? Is there something I've given up on that, one, Lord, I need to bring back to you in belief, and two, who can I share that with that can help support and rally and encourage during this time? You're so right, Robin. And again, we're so thankful for Heather. And and I just hope you as a listener take these challenges that we're giving you. We are so very thankful for you. Robin mentioned that at the very beginning of um, the podcast, but we just really could not do it without you. And as Lindy mentioned earlier, if you really love storytellers, consider giving to our ministry. We are growing exponentially. We're just trying to keep up <laughs> with all of the growth, and we could not do it without your financial support. So just consider becoming a monthly ministry partner, or if you're looking at year-end giving, consider giving to our ministry. We promise it will go directly to growing this ministry and to, like Lindy said, just help women find more hope through these stories, hope in Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Happy Thanksgiving, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.